So it was a little ironic when Buddy asked me to pick up talking about Catch My Drift because honestly, this picture brings up one of my worst fears in my whole entire life. See, my mom, when I was about four years old, established a fear within me from one hypothetical question. What would you do if your plane crashed? and you were stranded. And I, from that moment on as a little four-year-old boy, have been terrified of flying. In fact, until I was 18 years old, I never stepped onto a plane at all. And no one in my family, except for me, until about the time I was 25, had flew. And I think it comes back to this movie, Castaway, if I'm being honest. Do any of you guys have a, a family ritual on Friday nights back when Blockbuster was a thing and it wasn't Netflix? To go out to Blockbuster on Thursday or Friday night and the family let the kids pick one and then in my family, my parents picked a feature, right? So me and my brother would run off to the kids' side of the store and we would pick something out and then my parents would pick something else. Often a rom-com because my mom always was trying to get us to appreciate those. And as a uh, teenage boy, I always wanted to vomit when she made us watch those because I really, really hated rom-coms. And so mom came back with something different this night. And Wes had figured something out. If I could go because my parents like sat behind me in our living room and I pretended like I was asleep. They wouldn't touch me because they didn't want to have to go through the trouble of taking me upstairs and putting us to bed. And if I could crack my eyes open a little bit, I could watch the adult feature too. Now, some of you remember this and some of you are thinking, why is this guy preaching? He's a terrible, awful person. But as a 12-year-old kid, I really enjoyed it. And so we started watching this movie, Castaway. And the whole premise of the movie is Tom Hanks' character works for FedEx. And his job is to make packages come as efficiently as possible. Don't we wish we had someone like Tom Hanks today? Anybody had a late package? I have a package I'm waiting for that was supposed to be here Friday, and they don't know where it is. So we, you know what I'm talking about. And so Tom Hanks uh, flies around the world, and he makes sure this uh, whole process is efficient. He has a girlfriend, and we can tell that he and his girlfriend are pretty serious, but they often um, have some disagreements. You could tell it's not the most stable of relationships, but on Christmas, he gives her a box, and everybody can tell what the box is. It's an engagement ring, and he says, hold on to this. On New Year's, you can open up this gift, and he gets on a plane. And seeing the title, Castaway, we all see where this is going. He gets on the plane, and it crash lands He has a raft and he floats for several days and he ends up on an island and several packages wash ashore. He keeps one of them to make sure that he has a purpose in living, like I'm going to deliver this package and this is what's going to get me through this hard time. And he begins to open the rest of the packages. And then we meet the other main character of this story. Many of you will remember and fondly affectionately remember Wilson. Anybody? And so we see Wilson And Tom Hanks' character developed this deep emotional attachment. And as a 12-year-old kid, I just thought he was crazy, right? As a 12-year-old kid, I didn't understand what was going on, why this man is talking to a volleyball. But over the show, he he like kicks his volleyball because he's having this conversation with it. He kicks it into the woods and he's like, I'm so sorry, Wilson. And he runs and he goes, gets it, right? And then he gets to the penultimate moment in the movie. Tom Hanks has read the weather somehow. Somehow he becomes a meteorologist and he decides this is the time to leave on my raft. And he gets on the raft and Wilson, his best friend, comes along. Tom Hanks drifts off to sleep after, for many days, being on this raft. 
and a big wave hits the raft. And we see as Wilson slowly drifts away on the waves. And we hear Tom Hanks, as his only friend for over five years, drifts away and he yells, Wilson! Wilson! And I realized in that moment, here's what makes a good movie. If it can make you care about an inanimate object the way it made all of us care about Wilson in this movie, it's a good movie. Because many a tears were shed over Wilson the volleyball floating away, even though it had nothing to do with the actual premise. But it established a new fear in my life. A fear that stuck around with me for a long time. I realized that day we're not made to be alone. It cemented in me the fact that I don't ever want to be like that. If being alone can really drive you crazy enough that you A volleyball can be your best friend? I don't want to be alone. In fact, I believe that God created us for community. Look at Genesis 1, 18 with me real quick. It says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. See, God, even in the beginning, saw very quickly that he gave man a purpose. But a purpose wasn't enough. That he needed a wife. And so God created woman so that man and woman would not be alone. God created the family unit very early on because he knew that we don't do well in isolation. The next time that we see in Deuteronomy 7, 6 is that God doesn't choose a person. He chooses a family. He chooses a people to work through. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, it says this, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. See, God did choose Abraham, but what we see is is that all of the blessings that Abraham has come through really two promises. You will have a son, family. And second of all, you will have a descendants, as many as the stars in the sky and as many as the grains of sand that lay on the beach. See, God could have chosen just one man to enact through, but what he chose is a people because he wanted the whole world to see through Israel his goodness and his grace. The final thing is that Jesus in Matthew 16, verses 16 through 18, through the words of Peter, establishes his church. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I will tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. See, God here through Peter's confession, along with the other apostles who are here at this moment, disciples in this moment, he says, you guys, If you truly believe that I am the son of the living God, we'll change the world through this statement. We're not made to be alone. God formed families. God chose a people. And God made the church so that we wouldn't be alone. In fact, we are made for community. I believe that that's what the the whole line of the Bible teaches us. I told you I was afraid of being alone. That fear came fully true when I moved to Searcy, Arkansas as the first person in my family to ever attend college. 
I had a couple of people who went to my high school that also went to Harding, but we weren't really close. And so it was really the first time in my life I'd ever been alone. Some of you have probably experienced this before. And I moved off. And because of the deep fear of being alone, I started joining every club, every play, everything that I could get my hands on because I wanted not to be alone. So I joined the play at Harding. I joined a Christian fraternity. I joined uh, a local church's uh, praise team. I joined uh, and I helped teach a class at a certain church. And what I saw is that all of these good things started to come around. But then something happened. I got to rough week at my college. And some people are like, well, rough week at a Christian college really isn't that bad. But you, you just don't realize that it can be. And so I was really pushing myself that week because I wanted to prove to everybody that I was deserving of their love. And what I had done is I had really hurt my leg pretty badly. I'd fell being kind of stupid off of a two-story prop and a plate and I had busted my leg. I had a fracture in it. And my family didn't have insurance at the time. And so there was a night where after a lot of sleep deprivation and a lot of hard things that they were putting us through, they had a sprint in a gym for hours on end. And on this bum leg, I was sprinting and I was sprinting and I was sprinting. And after I started to feel kind of weak, I'd been on crutches that week, uh, but I was hiding it from those guys because I didn't want them to know what was going on because a sign of weakness as a man, right? Can't show that, right? And so I hid my crutches from everybody. And I was walking and all of a sudden I lost all control of all my muscles. I couldn't walk. I fell on my face. I slowly lost the ability to speak. And I had to be carried to the ambulance. And when I did, this guy picked me up on his shoulder. He was a bodybuilder. But because I was dead weight and I was awkward, he accidentally dropped me in a trash can on the way out. And so I'm laying in the middle of this trash. They put me on a couch and they try to force feed me Gatorade and like Gatorade is pouring out of my mouth because I can't swallow anymore. And the ambulance gets there and they pick me up and the scariest words that I've ever heard, if we would have hit one red light, you wouldn't have made it. And I sat in that hospital as I was being revivified by this team of people trying to bring life back into me. And I was mad at God. I said, God, why did you do this to me? Right, all I wanted was not to be alone. And now I'm sitting here alone in a hospital room by myself and I almost died. Why did you do this to me? A few months later, God placed a really godly person in my life. His name was Carlton. And Carlton came to me and I was recounting the story and why I was angry at God and why I wasn't going to church anymore because I had stopped. Because if God couldn't help me in this way, why would I even show up? And he looked at me and he said, Wes, God didn't do that. You did that. I said, hold up. Wait a second. I got really mad at him. I was like, what do you mean I did that? No, no, no. God did this. We prayed about this all the time that I didn't want to be alone. He said, well, did God tell you that you needed to join that Christian social club? And I said, no. And then he said, did, did God tell you you needed to join the play? Well, n- no. And I said, but, but I know these things that you do. And, and he was like, no, 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 no. It's not about me. It's about you. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit hit me. 
and he convicted me of something. It wasn't God who had put me in those places that had led me to where I was. I had made those choices. I chose to hide my injury. I chose to not eat and sleep. I chose to do those things, and it led to a certain amount of consequences. And he said, Wes, I want you to come with me to this Bible study. There's this group of people, these two adults, who I have seen show the love of God more than anyone else on our campus, and I want you to come with me. And so I said, okay. I had nothing else going for me at this point, it felt like. I said, I'll go. And when I did, the first night that I came, this family stayed up till 1 a.m. talking to me about life. Reading scripture, praying over me, feeding me food out of their own pantry, making a whole pitcher of sweet tea because that's what I like to drink. And I never experienced that kind of love. Like I've been in church my whole life and I absolutely had people that loved me, but I never had realized that kind of love. And for a second, it became clear to me, God didn't just create us for any community. He created us for a Christ-centered community. Because there was something different. There was something different in this home and it kept me coming back. Every week, there was the number one thing on my priority was going to Dirk and Wendy's house because I truly saw love there and I wanted to know more about that. And it began to once again ignite the passion that I had for Jesus Christ and for God. And slowly but surely, I stopped going to church. They said, hey, we go to this really great church and there's a lot of people here who love Jesus. Won't you come with us? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't go to church anymore. I go here. This is my church. And they were like, no, no, no. You need more people than just us come to church. And so the next Sunday, I, I hopped in the car and I went to church with them. I don't know if I would be where I am. I'm not saying that God's providence wouldn't have led me to a point in time where I would have met him again, but he used Dirk and Wendy in that moment to lead me to the idea that I needed Jesus and I needed a place and a community that was driven by his love and his love alone. Why is a Christ-centered community different than any other community? Because frankly, you could be anywhere today, right? You could be out playing golf, I know, I know sports teams are practicing all the time now. I remember going to a Christian school and on Sundays sometimes they would ask us to come to basketball practice when we really stunk it up the week before. You could be anywhere. Community is not something that the church just has a hold on, but there is something different. Christian community is different because of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. And if you've experienced it, you know the difference. Because there is a difference in the love of the world and the love of a community that knows they've been forgiven by Jesus Christ. Because they will stay up till 1 a.m. in their home, cook meals they weren't supposed to, and love an 18-year-old young man who was alone, even though there were a lot of people around him. Sometimes churches forget this, though, right? Sometimes we, as God's body, forget this. And I want to look at a church that absolutely does. 
Revelation 2, verses 2 through 5, is Jesus speaking through John the Revelator and talking to the church in Ephesus. And he says this, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you've abandoned the first love that you had. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What is the first love that the Ephesians have walked away from? Because, frankly, the Ephesians are doing some really good things. The Ephesians are praised for their stand against sin. Specifically, they're, they're praised for the fact that they are fighting against false teaching. They're also praised because they're living in a really harsh community climate in Ephesus for their endurance and, and a lot of persecution. But what Jesus has to say to them is this, you lack love. And specifically, the first love that you had for me. See, we know this to be true. Love will diminish when a relationship is not the priority. Right, my wife and I just celebrated 10 years in marriage. And we took a big trip. We made a big deal about it. In fact, for the first time in our family, we sent our son to his grandmother. Sent our son. That sounds like boarding school. We didn't send him to boarding school. We took him to his grandmother's. They stayed, he stayed with his grandmother, had a great time at the zoo, and we went somewhere else. And we celebrated, and it was great. And we got to recount over dinner about all the things that had led us to this place where we loved each other deeply. But what if I told you this? What if I told you that our 10-year anniversary came about? No cards were written. No flowers were sent. No dinner was had. And frankly, we forgot the date. Some of you would be like, uh, Wes, you need to see Buddy and get some counseling because something's going wrong, right? Because we know that love is evident. It may not look the same as it did when Steph and I first became a couple, but love is easily seen when two people care about each other more than anything else. In fact, Paul says the same thing to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 28 says this, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, No one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, And the wife must respect her husband. See, what Paul is saying here to the church at Ephesus through an analogy of the husband and the wife is that, yes, a husband should love his wife with a sacrificial love that would put his own body on the line for her. 
And that in response, a woman is to respect and also reciprocate that same love because he tells the Ephesians earlier, you are imitators of God when you love like Jesus did on the cross. But he says it's not just about a husband and a wife. This is about Christ and the church. Jesus gave his life for you so that you may be set free from sin once and for all. And the church is to respond out of respect and admiration for Jesus Christ and doing the same for other people. When did you first love Christ? I can remember back in Mars Hill Church of Christ, I was about nine years old. And I can remember on a Wednesday night, we had a guest preacher come into town and I told my parents, hey, I'm going to get baptized. And they were like, what? And they were trying to talk me out of it. And they put me in the room with my preacher when I was a little kid and said, ask him all the questions because we don't think he's ready. And when I came out of there, they were like, the preacher was like, he knows more than I do. I don't know what's happening there, but like he, he knows what he's talking about. And I think he's ready <laughs> because I talked his ear off for over two hours And I walked down the aisle because I did. I loved Jesus and I knew that he died for me to set me free. And I wanted to receive that grace. And so I put him on in baptism and I remember getting out and that, that feeling, and I know you felt it too if you've been baptized, that feeling that as if nothing you ever did mattered and that you were fully, totally clean for once in your life. And I remember the next week I got in trouble because I went to school and I couldn't shut up about it. And I went to a public elementary school and I got sent to the principal's office because I wouldn't shut up. And the principal was looking at me saying, son, you can't do that. I know you believe in Jesus Christ and I do too, but you can't do that here. And I said, why not? Why don't I want everybody to know this? And they were like, you have to be more quiet. And I said, and if you know me, that's probably not one of my strong suits. Do you remember when you first loved Christ? But it's not that that love is any less strong. It just becomes different. Like with my wife and I, right? It's not the one week anniversary gifts anymore. We used to give these gifts every single time and maybe some of you did too. Me and my wife really loved TV shows. We ended up like really getting to know each other because we would do homework and in the middle of the homework to kind of keep ourselves engaged, we would watch movies together. And so every month we would give a DVD of something that we had watched that reminded us of our relationship. It was one month, two months, three months, four months, five months, six months, until it got to a year and a half. And I was like, oh, I got her this time. And I had the engagement ring. But the problem was, is I had the date wrong. It was only a month and, or a year and, and five months. Um, but she was still glad to receive the engagement ring. Don't worry. But our love looks different now 10 years later. One of the best things that my wife can do for me is on Thursday night, she told me, Wes, you don't have to cook. We're going to order out. And I said, thank you, Lord. Yes. And some of you are like, that is the best form of love. Please let me go home and order some food. The best thing that I can do for my wife right now is after a long week on a Saturday is getting up early and staying with our son so she can sleep in. See, the love has changed, but it's still strong and it's evident through its acts. 
One of my favorite moments in scripture is in Acts chapter 20 when the church lives this out. Let's read it. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we had gathered. And a young man, a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep. As Paul talked still longer, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story, and he was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with him a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and they were not a little comforted. So here's what happens. I'm going to check real quick. No one's asleep yet. Okay, no one's in the third story. But what happens is is this preacher goes a really long time till midnight, Paul does. And as young people do, Eutychus gets a little bored. He drifts off to sleep and he falls out of the window. And Paul looks around just like Jesus did earlier in a different story. And he says, don't worry, I got it. He's still alive. And he walks down and he raises the young man from death to life. And they go upstairs, and according to the text, the same words that are used for the Lord's Supper, and they broke bread, they broke bread again. And this time, in the reality of the truth, that just like Eutychus had been raised from death to life, so each one of them, when they had first met Jesus, had truly spiritually been raised from death to life. And they rejoiced. Because Eutychus was physically alive, but they were spiritually alive. Communion is the church's reminder of its first love. That's why we put such an emphasis on communion is because we believe it should be a marker and a milestone every single week to remind you, if not more than every single week. Jesus says, take it as often as you take of these emblems. That you remember your first love. That you remember why you came to Jesus in the first place. And you remember the love he showed for you through his body and blood on the cross. John also, maybe to the church in Ephesus, but definitely to the minor churches in Asia, says this. And he sums it up nicely. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, that's what's different about church. That's what's different about this place. Is that a sacrificial love is a part of the language and deeds of its people. I saw that when I was 18 in the middle of a living room. As this family lovingly cared for me in the middle of one of my most broken moments. And the truth is, that's probably why a lot of the people in the room first came to know Jesus, is they had people who loved them. 
with that same love that Jesus Christ did on the cross, that they would do anything that others may know who he is and the grace that is received from the mercy of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. Christ's church is different because we love each other with the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. And so I have three questions for you today. Do we love Christ? By we, I mean this church. Do we love Jesus Christ? And let me answer it for you. I believe that we do. I can remember the first week that I came in here and I was just trying out when they were trying to decide, did they want me to be a part of this church? And they were, I was sitting over there and I was watching something I hadn't seen in a really long time. People were willing to share what was going on in their life and pray with one another. I was watching as churches celebrated as loud as some of us did yesterday for touchdowns, people being baptized because we knew that that was of first importance. I watched and was completely blown away as a young group of men pulled me to the side and they started praying over the cup as if it was their first love. I I think we do. But then I have to ask this next question to each and every one of us individually. Is that love evident in your own life? Is that love strong? Right, because we just said we can tell that love diminishes when the relationship is not the priority. Not only do you know that you love Jesus, that he died for you on the cross, but does it actually change how you live? Does it affect every moment of every day and every decision? Not that you won't make mistakes, and that's why the blood of Jesus continues to go on and we take the cup to remember that the blood didn't just run out when we were baptized, but it continues to cover us. Is your love evident for Jesus Christ? And the final one is, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Is he the most important thing in your life? Is he more important than your wife, your husband? Is he more important in your family and worthy of centering your whole life around? I believe he is because of what he did on the cross. He didn't just die. He wiped away our sin forever. So some of you in the crowd, maybe for the first time today, are saying, man, I do. I love Jesus. Praise God. So I have three responses for everybody in this room today that we all are going to take part of today. The first one is, if we're all gonna take communion. Today, I I challenge you as you grab your little plastic cup, your rip and sip, and you open it up. I want you to remember the first time you loved Jesus. Jesus. I want you to be reminded of how strong and evident that love was because it was evident. You put him on in baptism. There was a physical action that did not cause you to receive your grace, but was actually a part of you showing everybody that you wanted that grace and fully accepted it. 
that you knew there was no way to walk another step without the love of Jesus Christ marking everything that you did. That is what communion is for because just like the church where Paul talked a little bit too long, we get to see every week people raised from death to life spiritually in this place. The next one is this. We can pray for you. Today, the, the pews are open as they always are And it's one of the most beautiful things and why we love this church is because people really do share with one another and lives are changed because we're going to walk through it together. That love is evident in our people. And the final one is this. Maybe there's someone in the crowd today that says, I want nothing more than to exclaim the loudest that I possibly can that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and I love him with everything in me. You could put him on in baptism today. And guys, how great was that last week? How great it was to see someone say, I love Jesus with everything in me. And so we're gonna do something a little bit different today. We are all going to respond today. During this time, as, as Jeremy and the praise team get up here, we're going to start with communion. I'm going to pray over it, and we're all going to take communion together. If at the same time you need prayer, please come forward, and we will pray with you. You have a little card in the back of the seat in front of you. If you want to write a prayer request, we would love to pray with you today. And then if there is someone who wants nothing more then to make it evident, as evident it was in Acts chapter 20, to the people who saw Eutychus die and then be raised again, what our first love is and why we love Jesus Christ is because we spiritually had that too. You can put them on in baptism today. So I'm about to pray. And I just want to ask you, is Jesus your first love? Is that love is real and as evident as the day you first put it on. Because Jesus is the greatest love that anyone will ever have. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you right now to your throne, and Lord, we are asking today that you remind us of that moment where we first came to love you, where we fully knew and realized what you did for us on the cross. And God, as we take of the cup, as we take of the bread, may it be a remembrance of what you did for us, that you forgave us for once and always. And today when we drink of that cup, we once again are cleansed in your name. God, we love you, and we ask these things, your son's blessed name.